Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Well, she's speaking this morning, and I get to just sit and just observe and wonder and awe because... This woman is a fabulous woman. I, she's changed my life tremendously and made me a better man. So it's the secret uh, to our success. And I just want to thank you all for just um, being who you are. There was a gentleman that came up to me after the, the first service, and he said, because uh, you said something about being in business. And he said, well, somebody said something about business. I need prayer in business. And I was like, oh, okay, well, praise God. And uh, I said, I said, you know, just something that came to me a couple years ago that I really feel like that there's strategy. You know, we understand strategy in the natural, right? Practicalities. This is the financial districts. There's a lot of like really intelligent, like crazy, just like uh, important things that go on in this area. You know, so the supernatural is like sometimes um, anathema against that sort of thing. It's just like how do those things go together? I said, but there's actually strategy in the kingdom. We assume that that the kingdom is just a solid thing and it is a thing and we just need to comply with it most of the time. But there's actually things moving in the spirit. And it's not just principles that are ancient principles. There's things happening in the spirit and there's strategy that's required in order to, to step into the things of God and move and do things. Prayer and, and, and the things we've been doing this morning, very important. But I said, I said, there's strategy in the spirit. I said, and so God, I believe, is going to give you a new business model, sort of an entrepreneurial way to understand the things that need to happen in the natural, in business, and, and so forth in order to accomplish the things of the, of the kingdom. Amen? And so I told him, I said, the small is the new business. Big. And I just really appreciate this house and what you guys are doing to steward in this city, a small powerhouse of a place. And I just encourage you that uh, the, the things that you're doing and accomplishing in the spirit in this place and in this region is astounding and amazing. And you have no idea what God is doing through what you, what you steward and what you press into in this house. So I just want to leave that with you that... Small is the new big. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Amen. That's a word, babe. That's a word. You guys, I don't even know what's going to happen because I have so many words for so many people. and We're just going to go for it. We're just going to minister. My husband keeps trying to get me to, like, surrender to technology. But when you have a prophetic gift, this is what happens. This cannot keep up with me. It can't keep up with me, all right, because that's not what happens. But what you're saying is like, you know, if, if you find a place that's like a mom and pops kind of place that creates things, that makes things in small batch, that's usually the best, right? And when they get, as my grandpa would say, too big for their britches, that's usually when it starts to lose something. It loses something, right? But I believe that we can have both. We can retain the, the intimacy. She's like, I didn't know you were going to go there. Because <laughs> uh, I think sometimes, you know, in, um, in, in the alternate kingdom, a lot of times we think that us four and no more is a good thing. But at the same time, I do believe that we can, uh, we can contain the beauty of small batch of all of the right ingredients and all of the love that's put in whatever that product is and also be able to, 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 to reach the masses. You know, we don't have to mass produce where it becomes very impersonal. You know, we can, we can retain the same love and kindness and ingredients and all those things and then also be able to reach the masses because I think that that's so important. So I want to go back to the lost and found word. Let's, let's visit that for a little while. Who, like, felt that? You're like, oh, there's some things that I would love. And, and a lot of times when you go to Lost and Found, uh, you're looking for something very specific. You lost your thermos. You lost your water bottle. If you're my daughter, you lose your water bottle every week. <laughs> okay, we have so many Stanleys just in places. That's a, that's, a, that's a 
water bottle that's kind of famous. He's had his day. He's famous now, the Stanley water bottle that all the kids want to have, which I want to say is so impractical. He's big. He's clunky. He falls over. He spills. You can't travel with him. Why? Why is this a thing? I don't know. But if you go to the lost and found, you know, you're looking for something specific. You're looking for your book bag because your mom has threatened your life. That if you don't find whatever it is that you lost, you know, then, you know, you're in big trouble. And so you're going there looking for something specific. But I'm really feeling in my heart that this lost and found, this heaven's lost and found this morning, you might come looking for something specific and you might find something that you're not expecting. That you really didn't even know maybe was lost. Because we're going to be talking a little bit uh, this morning via Holy Spirit about some lineage and legacy stuff. About some things that have been lost in our generations that maybe you haven't even heard about yet. Some gifts, some talents. So here's a little short list that I made of some things that you might have lost that you can find again this morning. Your childhood. Some of you came out of your parents' womb, your mother's womb, running for your life like me. You lost your childhood. It was not safe to be a kid. It was not safe. You had to grow up fast. You had to learn things about the world that you didn't want to learn very quickly. You had to be street smart. And a lot of times we wear that as a badge of honor. We're like, I'm street smart. You're traumatized. You are. And a lot of times those same street smart people will be like, I'm an empath. No, you're not an empath. What the truth is, is that when you walk into the room, you pick up on who's the most dangerous person there. Emotionally, physically, mentally, because it is a safety measure. And so a lot of times you'll feel the pain of the person that's the most traumatized in the room because it's a way for you to keep yourself safe. And so you think that you're empathic because you're picking up on the pain of others, but really what it is is you're self-protected. And so we have to learn how to steward that because I believe that all gifts from God, when they become overextended by trauma, and that often happens, they become weaknesses, right? So if we don't know how to use that gift, it'll burn us out real fast, a lot of times people will tell me, oh, yeah, you know, I'm the person that everyone comes to with their problems. It's like, how's that working out for you? Because <laughs> if we don't know how to lead them to the problem solver, right, we're trying to save people because we wish someone would have saved us. So we're always living from that place of, I wish that someone would have done this for me, so I'm going to do this for you, when the truth is, is that someone already did it. So your childhood might have been lost. And I asked, I'm sorry, what's your name? Jamali. Jamali? Mm -hmm. I asked her to come back in because, first of all, I wanted to tell you this. Don't ever apologize for crying. So when I first started speaking, I was like, God, what am I, like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet? Like, what are we doing here? Because it was, like, so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. And, I, and I'm telling you this, in college, which I didn't finish, Okay, I'm just going to tell you that. Um, when, I, when I went to college, this is part of the reason why, I had to take speech. And I was like, I'm never going to use that. I'm never going to speak in front of other people. Why would I even need that? So I dropped it two times. I dropped that class after I got up. And they give you these assignments. And they're always, like, really kind of vulnerable assignments in my, in my you know, experience. And I got up to make the speech to the class at college, and I would start to cry, and I'd be like, what's wrong with me? And then I would just drop, instead of like, you know, sitting down and being embarrassed, I would just go straight to the registrar's office and drop the class. I'm like, I'm never coming back here again. <laughs> and if I would see those people like in the cafeteria or another class, I'd be like, it's not me. I'm not the one that did that. So I'd be so embarrassed. And so when I started to minister, when God gave me the microphone, the way he's giving you the microphone, and then I started to do it there, I'm just like, okay, well, you know, I can just play it off. Like we're in worship. I'm just crying. Jesus, it's all good kind of thing. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, don't ever apologize for this because it's actually the gift of vulnerability. And when you are vulnerable, you actually give everyone else permission to now be vulnerable. 
And so, you know, no, you excuse me, uh, I'm sorry. No, ever, never, ever again. And I just want to let you know that um, this is going to happen a whole lot more for you. <laughs> and there's other stories that you have that need to be told. And so God is not only going to let you speak, he's going to let you write. And maybe you don't feel like you can do that, but he'll give you the resources to do it. All right? Like, I just wrote something in someone's book just now that's my book that I wrote, and I actually spelled the word wrong, and I'm like, thank God for autocorrect. So it doesn't, there's all kinds of resources and tools because the form of kind of dyslexia that I have allows me to say things incorrectly a lot and always just be humble. My husband's like, you know, babe, that's really not how you say that word. And I'm like, what, it's not rendezvous? No, it's rendezvous. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes so much more sense. Like, what's a rendezvous? <laughs> and there's so many more where those came, when that came from. So, um, so I wanted to just release that over you. You know, be vulnerable. It's going to, it's going to soften the hardest of hearts. Or let me tell you this, it's going to soften what we think are the hardest of hearts. Because sometimes the people that look the hardest on the outside, they're the softest on the inside. They really are. And so God's going to allow you to do that. And your story is going to create breakthrough for others. It really is. And friends, let's not hide behind shy or introverted or, you know, any of those things. Really, all it is is just fear. It is. And it, it comes from somewhere. Let's be willing to find out where it comes from. When, when was the first time that I felt like I had to hide or isolate or I didn't want anyone to see me? When's the first time that I felt like that? Because I know this. God, God birthed all of us from the womb you know, Psalm 139, he created us, he knit us together in our mother's womb. And while we're all different, we all have one thing in common. We've been created to live with confidence. When our identity is in Christ, we can be confident. And that looks different for everyone. And I, and I know also when you come from sort of a traumatic background like I, like I have and like some of you probably have, um, if you also have a gift of leadership and boldness with that, Sometimes when you get into the kingdom, you feel like you have to be real soft, real gentle, because you know that the other you, the counterfeit you, remember, those were gifts God gave you, but they got overextended by trauma, and it was more like, yeah, I love Jesus, but I will cut you, okay? And I think that sometimes God wants us to retain a little bit of that. It's important for us to retain a little bit of that for authenticity, you know, and so while he takes those gifts and he does redeem them, he for sure does. He doesn't want us to actually become a whole different person that we think is a holy person. We want to do that. So we lost our childhood. Some of us lost our family. The lost and found, we lost our family. And maybe they're not on earth anymore, but God wants to fill that space with family. The word of God tells us that he takes the solitary and he places them in family. He does. He does that. I am living proof that he does that. He does that. When I married this man, we, we both had children. Okay. I had never experienced healthy family. I'd never experienced anything healthy in the way of family. And I, I, he was my next door neighbor. I married him. And then I didn't know what to do with this place that God placed me in. And I remember like it was yesterday, standing at the sink in my kitchen. We've been married for probably about nine months, and he has these beautiful kids that were 9-11. My daughter was six, and, and, and I was around these people that wanted to do family, that you cared about what you thought and cared about you and all these things. And you know what I wanted to do? About 3 o'clock when the school bus pulled up, I wanted to go up in my room and, like, shut the door and put space between me and them. And I did that for the first like nine months of my marriage. And then I'm standing at the sink and I'm washing some dishes and I look up and it's just about three o'clock. And I'm like, oh, time to go upstairs. I worked from home and I was gonna go upstairs and, and save this part of the day to like get ready. You know, cause I, you know, the UPS guy, you open the door, you look crazy. Like you just woke up you didn't brush, and he's like, you work from home? You're like, yeah. You know, and this is before COVID. This is a long time ago. And so I would take the space in the day to go get dressed. And I told myself that's what I was doing. Oh, well, I better get ready. But really what I was doing is I was trying to prevent myself from, tr from having intimacy with this family. And I'm standing at the sink and I'm doing dishes and God just said, hey, why are you giving yourself permission to be a loser? And I was like, God, are you calling me a loser? 
And he said, no, but you're calling yourself a loser. He said, this is all you've ever wanted. And so for those of you in the room that this is all you ever wanted, we, you need, we need to make sure that we can get into a space to receive it. And you have time to do that now. You don't have to go through the Mr. Toad's wild ride of the first two years of my marriage where I was constantly trying to convince this man not to love me. Because it will happen, trust me. Because it's not about how much we want it or how much we ask or how much we pray. It's about having the capacity to receive what we're asking for. And because God is kind, he said to me, why are you giving yourself permission to be a loser? This is what you've always wanted. And so I sat down at the kitchen table that day and let them come. Instead of putting that door in between me and them, I let them come. And every day I sat down at the kitchen table. How's your day? What's going on? And I'm talking right to you for some reason. (laughs) But at the same time, you know, being vulnerable, allowing them to love me, loving them back, you know, just sitting there. And I want to tell you that after the first day, it was like, yeah, this is awesome. Family's great. No, it took a lot longer than that. It did. They would always come on Wednesdays because we were a blended family, and Wednesday would be our Monday. That's the day the kids would come back to our house, right? And I hated Wednesdays. I dreaded Wednesdays because Wednesday was the day where I was going to have to be vulnerable, Wednesday was the day where I was going to have to open up my heart and let someone in. Because I, when I was a teenager, I went to live in a girl's home. And then I went to live in foster care. And I had the garbage bag of belongings. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? I had the garbage bag of belongings. And so the lost and found makes sense to me because every time you're forced into a new space in your life, a lot of times that you don't want to be in, you leave something behind. You leave it behind. I counted just recently because we bought our first house. Shout out to the guy with the baby in the house. That's a lot to get at one time. (laughs) Shout out because that's, whoo. And he's like, the second one's always uh, faster. I'm like, for who? (laughs) But... Praise the Lord. God is so good. Um, So we recently bought a house, and I'm almost 50 years old. It's my very first house. Okay, we're entering into words for people. So if you hear it, you know it's you. You just got to grab it because we're in the lost and found right now. So my very first house, and I went ahead and counted. I had moved over 36 times since I was 14 years old. And when you move, you lose stuff. Stuff is lost in those moves. Things are left behind. Sometimes you don't have room for things. and You just make a decision that you're just not going to take it with you because at the time, you don't value it. You have no idea what its value is, okay? Like this Tupperware from the 1970s that still works perfectly today. (laughs) If you knew that it was literally going to last forever... You might have taken it with you. But this is what happens. This is what happens when we have transition after transition after transition. And some of you are feeling this because it's been your life. And so when we bid on this house, I will tell you, and, and you know, the message is about hope, but I'm just going to go ahead and freestyle it. Because what happens, what happens with hope so often is that when we get to a place where we've lost hope in a certain area of our life, we will no longer see opportunities or options. We will believe that there is nothing else for us in that realm. We'll ha- there's a kind of a blindness that comes over us in that space. All right. And so that came over that came over my life in the area of ever having home. And for some of you, you lost home. That's what you lost. You have no idea what it's like to have home or maybe you haven't had that idea in a really long time. What's it like to have home? Right. And for all of you that are single and if you come from a traumatic background like me, if you meet someone and from the very first moment, you're like, wow, I just, they, I feel like they've known, I've known them all my life and they feel like home. You then have to ask yourself, what was home like? What was home like? 
Because if home wasn't a good place, then that's not a good thing. That's just added bonus right there. So when we, so when I felt the Lord saying that we were going to get a house, I was like, oh, I, I don't really know how we're going to do that. I just don't know how. And I'm like, and, and just like you, I was like, oh, I'm just going to call. You know what? I'm going to get it over with. I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off. I'm just going to call this mortgage broker. One of my friends gave me his number, and he's going to tell me, absolutely not. You're in ministry. You're self-employed. That's a big no. You're not going to have a house. And so I, I'll just go ahead and do it. Called him up, talked to him for like five minutes, and he's like, you're pre-approved. You're pre-approved. And then he gave me an amount of money that I was pre-approved for, and I'm like, are you sure? But once again, friends, I live in Austin where, you know, $2 million, you're going to get a 525-square-foot house, okay? It's, it's crazy there. It is crazy in the housing department there. But, and so we were looking at a specific area of Austin because our kids were like, wouldn't it be fun to buy a house here? And we just kept looking and looking and looking and looking, and we made four offers on four houses, and each time someone just swooped in, and they, like, offered their newborn baby and, you know, <laughs> all kinds of crazy stuff. Seriously, they're like, our child will serve your generations <laughs> if you give us this house. <laughs> That's what happened. And so we were in the car, and my husband got a word of knowledge, and God said, you're looking in the wrong place. This is where you need to be looking. And so we changed the Zillow app that moment to that area, and this house popped up. He said, you're looking in the wrong place, and you're looking in the wrong price, price bracket go higher. And we're like, <laughs> so we did it though. We did it. And this house popped up and it had everything that we had ever asked God for. It had the acreage. It had like the guest house situation for our grown children that never leave. It had, it had, it had everything. It had everything. And we want them to stay. Let's just be honest. Right? Right? Well, you guys know. Like, hey, don't you want to build your house right next door to us? And look, there's a space over here for your friends and these people, and let's just start a commune, but a good one. And so it popped up, and, and, it was, and we called our realtor and said, hey, tell us about this house. And our realtor said, it's, it's available, but the offers are due today. This is the last day for offers. So we went, and you guys, this house couldn't have been further away from where we were looking. It was like across town, 45 minutes away from where we had been searching. So we go, and we love it. It's incredible. And as I'm walking around the property looking at it, God said, you're going to be really happy here. <laughs> and so hope began to rise, and hope's so important. A lot of times H-O-P-E is spelled R-I-S-K. That's what it's called. you got to step out. You have to be willing to, to miss it, to get it wrong, you have to be willing and trust God that, you know, this is either it or it's something better. There's just so many things that you have to be willing to do. And so we put an offer in, which was the amount of money that they were asking for the house. We put the offer in. Um, we did all the other things that they told us to do, you know, realtor stuff. I don't know. And then we heard the next day that we had to go higher. And I was like, wait a second. I thought you said this was the last day for offers. Like, well, we opened it up and we're taking offers today too. I'm like, Ugh. Okay, so my husband was like, okay, we're out. And I would normally be like, yeah, you're right. But I walked in the other room, and as I was walking in the other room, I heard the Lord say, stretch, baby girl, you can do it. And I came back in, and I, and I told David, and he felt that witness in his spirit. So we stretched, and they gave us the house. And so we've lived there for over a year now, and it's been amazing, and it's been such a place of family, and it's been such a place of peace, also tarantulas and rattlesnakes and <laughs> scorpions. Um, but you know, that's the price you pay to live in the woods, and that's the way it goes. Um, but God has been so good to us, and I really feel like that's a word for so many people in the room. There's something that you think is just kind of out of reach, but God's saying, stretch. Stretch, son. Stretch, daughter. You can do it. You can have it. That's what hope to rise today, that you can have it. God is the giver of good gifts, good gifts. 
So some of you have lost home, and God wants to give you home again. He wants to give you family again. He wants to, he, he wants to put you in a place where you are seen, known, and loved like you are seen, known, and loved in heaven. When I first heard that verse that says that, um, that the forsaken, that if your mother and father forsake you, that I, the Lord, will take you up, I can't tell you the hope that that brought to my heart. Because I, I knew that I had been forsaken, and for the first time in my life, that made me feel excited. Because God was promising me that he himself would take me up. And he did, and he has, and he is. And it's just so amazing. And some of you have lost health. It's in the lost and found today. And you think you've lost health for certain reasons, but God wants to show you what the root really is to that. He wants to really show you that. Just recently, I was having a bunch of health issues after my mom passed away. Stress, right? So often it comes back to stress. It comes back to grief. Sometimes it's not fat. It's actually hurt. It's grief. It's pain. And I had a guy do a one-on-one with me. I do one-on-ones with my clients. And, and he was telling me how he had a dream. And in the dream, God gave him the first and last name of some person. And he didn't know who the person was, but he, he felt led to, to he, he felt God say, uh, you need to ask the girl that you've been dating, you need to ask her about this name. And so he woke up from the dream and he said, hey, you know, da, 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 does that mean anything to you? And she turned white because she had been cheating on him with this person. This is like a revelation from heaven. And all of you singles in the room here, you know what? You don't have to be self-protected or self-defended because you can be God-defended. A lot of times what we do is we try to make sure that people are safe and try to find out everything about them. We're running background checks. We're doing all that. And if you're a single parent, you may need to do that. And we have that PI service in our program in case you need it. Um, But at the same time, sometimes you just need to trust that God will show you what you need to see when you need to see it. Because sometimes you don't need to see stuff right away. Sometimes you're learning some stuff along the way as well. But can I tell you, this is the kind of person I am. You're about to see my personality. I went to bed that night, and I said, hey, um, God, if you can tell that guy the name of some guy that his girlfriend's cheating with, you can certainly give me the name of a doctor that can help me. And the very next morning, I woke up, and God said, Dr. Joe. And I said, well, that's kind of vague, but we're going to Google it. (laughs) Dr. Joe Austin Hormones, that's what I Googled. And this, this doctor popped up, Dr. Joseph Festies. And I was like, okay, he's been in the game for 50 years. He's someone who created uh, bioidentical hormones for women. He's been pioneering this work for women's health, right? And he's just right over in a little town next to my town. So I make an appointment and I'm like, okay, God, if this is you, I'm going to need someone to straight up call him Dr. Joe. Because when I walked in and asked the receptionist, hey, you know, you, what do you call the doctor, Dr. Joe? And you guys, you know, you do this too. You're looking all the time for like confirmation. Is this, am I, should I be here right now? What's going on? And he, she goes, oh no, Dr. Festies. And I was like, mm. <laughs> so David and I, we both go, cause men have hormones too. And he does that work for guys too. So we go into his office and we sit down and man is 87 years old and he's the poster child for this kind of work because he's running circles around everybody else. All right. We don't have to retire, friends. We can refire. That's a word for someone. Your hope should not be in the number on your birth certificate. Your hope should be in the Lord. All right. As long as there's passion in your heart, as long as there's God's will, there's always a way. And so we sit down in his office and I'm, I'm listening to everything he's saying and I like everything that he's saying. But I'm still not sure if, you know, I'm here by divine appointment or not. And then as he's talking, I look behind his head, and there is a metal, like, Chotsky there that just says, Dr. Joe. (laughs) And then behind it, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And all means all. I think sometimes we think, well, God certainly is involved in this spiritual aspect of my life, but he doesn't care about any of this other stuff. I'm on my own over here. I've read the Bible all the way through. I'm one of those year reading things, you know. I read it all the way through, and I'm telling you, it never says anywhere in there, "Um, okay, kid, good luck, hope you make it. Every single area. And so I told Dr. Joe, 
what God had spoken to me. And this man lit up like a Christmas tree, didn't he? He was like, that's amazing. I, I can't wait to tell everybody about that. He's like, he's like, God will do that. And I was like, yes, Dr. Joe, he definitely will. Some of you have lost your peace. And peace, oh, friends, peace is priceless, isn't it? Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom. And I have no idea how much time I have, so you're going to have to tell me. Shalom, shalom. <laughs> Do you know that the rabbis, the Jews, they don't just say it once, they say it twice. Shalom, shalom. Perfect peace. Woo, perfect peace. And perfect peace can only come from the perfect God who gives perfect gifts. You can't get it with your bank account. You can't get it. We all, we all found out in 2020 that, you know, our jobs were not, were not important. <laughs> and it was the best gift that some people ever got. They got a forced sabbatical to figure out, what am I really passionate about? It's not this. It isn't. Shalom, shalom. Some of us have lost our joy. It's here. You can get it back. You can have your joy back. A lot of times we let the wrong people in our lives, things come up missing, like our joy and our peace. That's what happens. And so God wants, he wants to put us back in family. He wants to put us back in relationship. Relationship. Some of you are still isolated. Some of you, you if I asked you right now, who are the five people in your life that are really shaping your life right now, you wouldn't be able to name five. You wouldn't. You might not even be able to name one. You have a lot of acquaintances. You have a lot of what we used to call when I was a kid, associates. But you do not have a lot of friends. And friends are so important. I know we had a singles conference here, and romance is important, and we want that spirit made. But you're only going to have one of them. And they're going to be your best friend after Jesus, for sure. But at the same time, you know, God wants you to have community. He does. He wants you to have community. And I have some words for this house, and I want to get to them. Confidence is another thing that is available in, the, in heaven's lost and found today. Failure does not rob us of potential. You have all the same potential that you had before the failure. It's all still there. All of it. No matter how many times, you know, you think of the great sports figures, the ones that went through slumps, the ones that went through character kind of stuff that caused them not to be able to play the game like they used to. The potential to be those all-star players, those rock star players, the greatest of the great, it's all still there. The problem is, is that the failure robbed them of confidence. So it doesn't rob us of potential, but it does rob us of confidence. But you can have your confidence back because your confidence can't be in you. Your confidence has to be in Christ. Okay, the hope that's in you has to be Christ. That is the hope that's in us that's unfailing for sure. All right, some of you have lost businesses. You lost businesses through pandemic. You lost businesses after that. We have seen so many places shut down, and it always breaks my heart because as a true entrepreneur, I'm a true entrepreneur, and I'm gonna, I have a word for entrepreneurs. Raise your hand if you're an entrepreneur right now. I want to see your hands. That means you, you have a dream of having your own business even if you don't have one. You know, God wants to put a holy on your hustle. Let me see. Let me see. Come on, let me see. All right, now put your hands down. Let me see the hands of the entrepreneurs. Maybe you don't work in your own business, but you're an innovator. Everywhere you go, you make it better. You see ways that things can change for the better. A lot of entrepreneurs here and a lot of entrepreneurs. I love that. That's so good. You lost businesses and you lost confidence in yourself to do this. But God said it's time to try again. You can find that here. It's time to try again. I want to go ahead and give that word. I wrote it down once again. See, this can't keep up with me. It's all right here. Ripped out of a notebook, looking all raggedy. All right. So God, so first of all, I was raised in the 1970s by a single mom. And what that looks like is bologna sandwiches and Kool-Aid. Anyone else? And some of you don't know about this, but back in the day, the government actually used to send us cheese. Just cheese. I don't know. I don't understand, but it was good. It was like Velveeta, but better. Okay, so that kind of gives you a depiction of what my childhood looked like before I went to live in, you know, girl, the girl's home and foster care and all those things. Bologna sandwiches, latchkey, key to the house. By the time you're seven years old, you just let yourself in. You got the government cheese waiting for you. 
That's what it looks like. White bread. No one was worried about our vitamins. No one. Look, let me see Gen X. We're lucky to be alive. What? Come on. We were raised by wolves. We were raising ourselves out there. You know it's true. You know it's true. So what I think, though, is that being raised in that environment where, you know, had to grow up quick, childhood was lost for sure, you know, didn't know if anyone was driving the bus most of the time. It really, what it did is a gift that was already inside of me, the entrepreneurial gift, it, it blossomed it and then also overextended it. I remember when I was a kid, everyone else was playing in the snow because I, I grew up on the lake, Lake Effect in the Midwest, Lake Erie, and it was cold. Because we had um, like huge snow drifts that we would make igloos out of, all right? And we would live in there because no one cared where we were, you know? We would live in the igloos. That's what would happen. And all the kids are out there playing in the snow, and I got the shovel, and I'm making money. I'm going door to door and I'm shoveling people's driveways, me and my brother, because we're making money. Our grandpa worked at Empire Pencil Company down in Tennessee, and he would send us these big boxes full of pencils and erasers that they, they couldn't sell in the stores because they had a little bit something wrong with them. I mean, big boxes full of the big pink erasers. You guys remember those? And the number two pencils. And I would take those door to door and sell them. I would. I would sell them because I was born to be an entrepreneur. I was. And God wants you to know that if that's you as well, that's a gift. And maybe it was overextended because a lot of times, like in my situation, and this is a, you know, a famous saying, that invention, uh, invention is the, uh, what, is the, what is the saying? Necessity is the mother of invention. Thank you so much. Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So I wasn't doing it because I really loved to do it, although that would come later when it was redeemed. I was doing it because, in my mind, it was a necessity. If I wanted to get something, I was going to have to find a way to get it myself. Right? And so for those of you that have that hustle and it's a gift from God, he wants to put the holy on it. He does. You can find that holy today. I, I gave a word. I texted a word during worship to a, a guy that I know back in Austin, and he lost his company through this latest tech disaster. Everyone know about the tech disaster? A lot of tech companies went under. We're talking about a company that was worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and he lost it all. He texted me when it happened. He said, we went from this to zero. And he's one of these people that's born to create, to innovate, born to see problems and become a solutionary to that problem, okay? Because that's, that's how heaven is. If there's a problem, God wants his kingdom to be the solution. So if you've always wanted to be a solutionary, you can find that here today. You can. You don't have to. There's always provision on the way to the vision. That's true. Um, but I believe it's during that time that God really purifies your motivations. And so I texted, and, and, and the reason why I know this guy is he's one of my matchmaking clients, wants to get married. But, and I told him this before. I was like, yeah, I know you want to get married, but you're just too rich. You're just too rich. There could be there's such a thing sometimes, right? And so I texted him a word today, and I said, you know, God just spoke to me during this lost and found moment and told me this. He said that this is a time of pruning and purification. You're going to get it all back. But God's repositioning you and repurposing you, and this is for someone in the room as well. Even if it wasn't hundreds of millions of dollars that you lost in a company, it was your dream. It was what you put your passion into, and it didn't work out the way that you expected or in the timeline that you wanted. God wants to repurpose and reposition you because this is a time of pruning and purification where he can put that holy on your hustle. And so what I said to this man is I said this. I said, um, in this time where you feel like all is lost, now is the time that God wants to bring your spirit mate. Because she's going to love you for you. She's going to love you for you. She's not going to love you for whatever it is that you have or what you have access to. She's going to love you for you. And that's for someone else in the room. A lot of times, and I see this in men more than women, they think, I've got to get it all together, cross every T and dot every I before I can even think about Proverbs 18.22. When a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Amen. 
out of the mouth of babes comes the confirmation. And I told, this, I told this guy in the last part of that word, I said, not only is now the time, which seems so counterintuitive because you're going to go and try to rebuild and be worthy, you're already pre-approved. And it's in this space, in this vulnerable space, that you are going to attract the woman that loves you for your heart and loves you for you. And she is going to help you rebuild. She's going to help you rebuild. Right? When David and I got together, we were both in vocational ministry, and we was po. And God kept messing with me. And here's another word for someone. This is, we're full of nuggets this morning. God kept messing with me because I would start to, you know, build something and do something. Like when we moved to Austin, I started substitute teaching. And when I tell you that I do not belong at a school, I am not lying to you. The schools are the wild, wild west. What's going on? I was scared for my life. Every day I'm like, these kids are only sixth graders, but I don't know. And so, and yes, I'm thinking of you too, Cindy. And so I had a word for you. I'm going to go ahead and release it right now. The Lord said that what you have been doing for the children of other families, what you have been faithful over, God said, I want to give you your own. What you have been faithful over that belongs to others, God will do for you. He will do for you. And that's a word for everyone who's been faithful and stewarding things that belong to other people, that have been helping other people. Receive it and believe it, because it will happen. Ask Maria. <laughs> She's driving me this year. It's her turn. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, I'm substituting in Austin. They'll let anyone be a teacher. Like, you don't have to have a degree or anything in teaching. You just have to show up and be a warm body and be willing to, to be there, okay? And be the adult in the room that makes no difference. You know, that's really what's going on. And so I had this app, and you schedule your assignments on this app, and I had it scheduled out for three months, three months of 100 bucks a day, 100 bucks a day. All I got to do is show up and survive, and I'm going to get it, Right? And we needed that because we just transitioned. We just moved to Austin. And by the way, another nugget. God just said, hey, get in the U-Haul and take your stuff to Austin. We had nowhere to live. We had no reason to be there. And that was six years ago. But we said yes, and we went, and God super bloomed our lives. He super bloomed our lives there. But this is when I first got there. And I'm like, okay, well, we need some money. Let me get some money. You guys, if you chase God, money will chase you. I'm telling you, I've lived it. Resources will chase you. The Bible says that you cannot serve God and mammon. And a lot of us are like, well, I don't serve mammon. But what do we do with our time and energy? Is it just to pay bills and die? Is that what we're doing? We just go out and we spend all of our energy and we give our first fruits and the best of us to just get money doing something that we're not passionate about, that we don't roll out of bed every morning and want to run to. And it's like, oh, that's a fairy tale for just certain people to live that. No, it's not true. And I love that that verse says that we can't serve God and mammon. It actually doesn't say you won't. It says you can't. It says you can't. Isn't that great? And so I'm over here serving mammon and not having a good time. All right? I'm over here. Because it can be really subtle. A lot of times I think we think that looks really ugly. But it doesn't have to look really ugly. It can just look like I have to take care of myself because if I don't, who will? And I run into this a lot with singles especially because they're like, Jackie, I don't, know how to, uh, I don't know how to give it to God because if I don't do it, who's going to do it? There's not another person in, in, in the room with me here at my house, right? And so I had that app, and I was in a worship service, kind of like what we just had, and God said, hey, I want you to cancel all those assignments on that app. And I was like, No. I was like, just a few. And he's like, all of them, all three months of them. And I'm like, well, God, I just moved here. Like, what am I going to do with my time? And he said, you're going to write a book. That's what you're going to do. And so I canceled every single one of those assignments. 
And I sat down in a chair at my house, and at first it was hard, and I'm talking to you. It was, and I got writer's block every single day. And at the end of the day, when I would go to go to bed, I would just say, Holy Spirit, I don't know where the story goes next. I'm going to need you to tell me. And I would go to sleep, and I would wake up, and I would know what's next every single night. And I would spend 12 to 14-hour days for 12 weeks. I wrote my first book, The Heartwork, in 12 weeks, 12 to 14-hour days every day. And at the end of that time, manuscripts done, write about to self-publish it, do the publishing, all the things. I get a phone call at 10 o'clock at night from my mother, who during this whole period of time, she's been sick. You know, um, this is going to be the last two years of her life. We didn't know that. And God was restoring my relationship with her. The things that I was writing about in this book, God was doing in real life, in my life. And my mom, I would call her at the end of each day, and I would read her the chapter that I wrote, and she would do her heart work. She would do her heart work. She would begin to get healed, set free. Different things were happening. Wonderful, amazing things. And at the end of that time, that 12 weeks, I see 10 o'clock, at 10 o'clock at night, I see my mom's phone number pop up on my phone. And friends, when I tell you that my mom's probably only called me maybe 10 times in my whole life, I'm not kidding. I call, I call her a lot, but like she would never call me. And so when I saw that phone number, I immediately jumped to negative conclusion, like, oh, something's wrong, because she was very sick. She had fourth stage bone cancer at the time. And so I see her number, and I answer the phone, and she doesn't know that I canceled all the things. She doesn't know me privately like that. We're just getting to know each other. Anyone else have a parent that you just don't know that well? And you're just getting to know them. You don't really have an intimate relationship with you. Let me see your hands. You don't have that intimate relationship. They're not the keeper of your secrets, all right? You haven't had that, that bond of trust. And maybe, maybe they, they passed away when you were born. Maybe you have never even known them because they're not here on earth. And so she calls me and she said, are you sitting down? I'm like, mom, what's wrong? And she said, are you sitting down? I'm like, well, I can. And I sat down and she said, I want to I wanna tell you that when your grandfather died, that he left you an inheritance. You guys, I'm not making these stories up. And I said, Mom, I was like, what grandpa? Because her father was as poor as a church mouse. And so I'm like, what did, what did grandpa leave me? And she goes, no, your father, the one that left when I was six months old, some of you are going to find some mantles today. You're going to find some inheritance, both supernatural and natural inheritance. And she said, no, your father's father, when he passed away, left you an inheritance. And I said, mom, I said, he passed away 16 years ago. And she said, yes. She said, but I wasn't supposed to give it to you until you were 45 years old. And this was a month after my birthday. And I said, mom, I said, I don't want to offend you, but I'm only 44. (laughs) And she said, I know. She said, but this morning God woke me up and he said, give it to her early. Give it to her early. Some of you have been working towards things, and you need to know it's coming early. It's coming early. David had got a bonus at his sales job that same week, and I had bought some furniture. We had been living in this place that we were renting in Austin with no furniture because we had no money because I canceled the jobs of the school. And so he got a little bonus check from this sales job, and I bought, like, things that we needed to sit on and, like, have the thing. And they weren't supposed to come for two weeks. And right after that phone call that night, the next morning, they started showing up. Started getting text messages on my phone from Target. I'm not shopping there, no. (laughs) This was six years ago. (laughs) Saying it's coming today. It's coming early. It's coming now. And it kept happening, didn't it? He is my witness. It kept happening. But that night when my mom said, you're getting an inheritance, you're getting early. Friends, when I tell you that it paid off all the debt that we had created in years and years of vocational ministry, all the times that we were like, you know, well, I don't know what we're going to do, all the things and more. And it invested and seeded our future. That is what happened that day. There are things that God has for you coming from places that not only are they unexpected, but they're unknown, unseen. You wouldn't have guessed it in a million years. You wouldn't have guessed it in a million years. God has that for you. He has it for you. He's had it for me. And so I want to switch over to some words for the house, if I could do that really quickly. First of all, to the singles, if you were here yesterday, can I see your hands again? All right, put those hands down. Now, if you're a single and you weren't here yesterday, let me see your hands. All right, so there's just about maybe 
25 more people. Okay, so... One of the words that God gave us over this movement and just recently, and this is a right now word for right now, God said, I am calling in my Davids from the field. Gentlemen, ladies, you need to get a hold of that word. What does that mean? That means that there are men, and I'm talking right to you right now, there are men that have been busy about their father's business. They, they haven't been necessarily on the apps. They haven't been dating. They haven't maybe even felt a desire to date because they have been busy doing other things. And maybe you're in the room, and you're like, I don't even know if that describes me because I don't know if I've really been that spiritual. Go ahead and allow it to describe you, that you've been a David in the field. But if you see the story of when the prophet showed up to anoint the next king of Israel, David wasn't in the lineup. And people have said all kinds of different things, and I haven't studied it out theologically, but something about David's, you know, origin, and that's why he wasn't there, because he was born of something sketchy or whatever. <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, so he wasn't like one of the qualified candidates for that moment, but he was out, and he was serving his father, and he was also serving his father. And he was learning things. And he was getting skills that he didn't even know he needed or that he had. And that's what happened. And eventually what happened in that story, he only came in because the father called him. That is why. And so there are men, and they're showing up, and they're showing up in my inbox and in my DMs. In fact, um, one of the ladies in here just came up with a picture to show me, and I already knew because that girl texted me this morning. One of my guys, that's a David in the field, he just came out of nowhere, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I messaged him on Instagram, and I said, hey, I said, you're supposed to be over here. Are you ready to go? And he said, I'm ready to go. And like two weeks later, he met his wife. And she's one of, one of the people that's connected to us. So that is happening. The Davids in the field are coming in. And one thing, ladies, that we have to have is we got to let go of Saul. <laughs> let go of Saul. You know, the prophet was there on a reluctant errand that day because he wanted things to work out a different way. Right? And a lot of times we have expectations and we want things to work out a different way that that's just not God's plan because he knows that you wouldn't ask for that if you knew who he was and who you were. And so you wouldn't. And so we have to let go of Saul. He said to the prophet, how long are you going to mourn Saul? And so people come to me all the time, all tied up and entangled with soul ties, with things that didn't work out, you know, with, with the, with the would have, should have, could have what might have been. Can we let go of those today? And can we find actually God's grace for a new story this morning in the lost and found? If that's you, just receive that right now. So God gave me a word when I was preparing to come and, 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 and talk at the singles conference. He gave me a word for the singles of New York City. And then I just want to prophesy over this house and then I'm going to give it over for ministry. So I was walking um, in the park and my mother-in-law and my husband were really far behind me because I was like a great Dane walking with corgis. So they were back there. And I was up here because I walk super, super, super fast and just regularly. Like, I'm not even walking fast, but I was walking fast. So I was way out by myself walking. And David said to his mom, he's like, she's probably talking to God up there. And I was like, yeah, that's what I was doing. But what was really happening is God was telling me what he wants to do in New York City. And because I was talking to him about, why am I coming back here again? You know, I just, I gave him all my stuff. Like, what, what are we doing this time around? Like, why this time are we coming back? Because he said, the first time I chipped away at something, he said, this time the dam's going to break. Amen. This time the dam is going to break. And this is what he did. He started singing the song, New York, New York, to me. I'm not a New Yorker. I'm obviously not from New York. I'm sometimes scared here. <laughs> People say that that's normal, so I'm Okay. But the song goes, New York, New York, and then it says, it says some version of this. So this is what he sang to me. He said, he said, I'm going to do something there that's never been done. He's like, it's going to be a prototype of family, of relationship, of community. And, and it's going to be a prototype of marriage, kingdom marriage. And he said, and then he sang and he said, because if I can do it there, I can do it anywhere. <laughs> Come on. 
Do you believe it? I believed it because it's true, because people think a certain thing. For all of you that are born and raised in New York, I'm going to tell you, all of us that weren't born and raised in New York, we have a certain, we think a certain thing about you, okay? That you don't make eye contact, that you don't like people in general, that it's, you know, that it's unfriendly, that it's unsafe, you know, we don't think of warm, fuzzy, happy family when we think of New York. We don't think of connection. We think of disconnection, right? People say that it's one of the hardest cities to be single in. And God just really does love a challenge, doesn't it? Doesn't he? Because nothing's a challenge for him. So this is the word, and it's going to flow from this place, and this place is connected, and I saw this last time I was here. It's connected to a whole bunch of other little depots, small is the new big. But guess what? When we're connected to each other, that's where it becomes the big. It becomes the big. That's how we can keep small batch and we can keep authentic community where people can feel seen, known, and loved by heaven without getting lost in a crowd and still reach the masses. That's how it happens, and that's how it is happening. So there's a depot, and there's two reasons that trains come into depots. They come in for, for maintenance. So people will come in for healing, heart work kind of stuff. And the other reason is they come through to receive resources and cargo to be equipped to go back out. And so this is going to be a depot of family, of relationship, of community. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be a catch and release sometimes. It's going to be a stay and put roots sometimes. But it's going to be a beautiful, amazing thing. And God, yeah, I can see them in the spirit the last time I was here. They were all lit up. There were all these, all these outposts, all these depots that were a prototype of what God first did here. What God first did here. And I knew it when I walked in the room last year because when you roll deep with mothers and fathers, there's going to be a lot of children. There's going to be a lot of children when that happens. So it's a network. It's like a family network. And what does that mean for all of your singles? Community-based matchmaking. Jeremiah 6.16, and I'm going to end with this. He just says, the, it just says this, and this is my paraphrase, of course, because I like to rhyme because that's Holy Spirit. The ancient of days has ancient ways, is what this verse says. And if you will ask him to show you the good path, and then you will take it, your shalom, your peace will increase. And family and marriage and relationship and romance has been an area that has been full of chaos and confusion for so many people. And the word shalom means devouring chaos and confusion. He says, I will bring shalom to this area of your life. And when we ask the ancient of days, what are the ancient ways and what is the good path or the good road? It's community-based matchmaking. Think about, and I did a study on it, all of the best and longest marriages happen somehow through knowing someone who knew someone who knows someone. And so singles, I want to tell you today, you might not know your spirit mate, but somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows your spirit mate. And as this network begins to form, as this begins to happen, and as this word begins to manifest starting right this moment, I feel like you're going to see immediate fruit because it's been ripe for a long time. We're walking into a harvest that's very, very ripe. And as this begins to happen, um, you are going to come into proximity to all the things that you have lost, all the things that have been left behind, all the things that maybe you didn't value before, including marriage, including family, and including your spirit mate, right? So blessings on that. So if we can go ahead and go into a time of ministry, if that's what you want to do. Um, I do believe that there are family mantles and all different types of things, gifts, callings, purposes. There's kinsmen, redeemers. There's restoration. There's all different types of things that God has for you today all different types of things. And as they go ahead and start this, I, God reminded me to tell you one more story. See this beautiful ring on my finger? So in my first marriage, I was separated. I got married at 20. I got married before I knew Jesus. Unfortunately, that marriage was very unhealthy and it ended in divorce. And when I got the ring at the beginning of that marriage, I lost it. I had taken it off. I was separated. I was getting a divorce and I lost the ring. And then when I met Jesus... I actually went back into the marriage because I thought, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. And for anyone that the failure was divorce that's caused you to feel like you don't have any potential, I want to tell you right now that God still has confidence in you. 
God loves his children more than he loves his rules. And I'm telling you, the reason why he hates divorce is because he hates abuse. He hates abandonment. He hates those things. He loves unity. He loves family. He loves humility. He loves grace. He loves all those things. And so I never had a ring ever again in that marriage for the next 10 years. And then finally, at the end of that 10 years, you know, things had gotten so bad. And the people that were trying to keep me in that place, every year I would say, please, I just need to get a divorce. And they'd say, no, 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 you can't. Okay, you're going to lose your promises from God. You can't do that. But, but this is happening, and that's happening. I was sick. I was in the hospital, in and out, all kinds of different things. People that knew me then see me now, and they're like, I can't believe you're the same person. And God delivered me from that. It was more of a rescue mission than anything else. And on the other side of that, you know the, you know the rest. I met my neighbor. I got married. And he gave me a beautiful diamond and it was a family diamond. It was a one-carat diamond. It was gorgeous. It was flawless. His dad, who was in the Air Force, had picked it up in Israel and gave it to his mother. And then it was given to him to give to his wife, and he gave it to me, right? And this diamond had been some places, all right? It had been through some failed relationships. It had been some places, and then it made it to me. And in the first two years of our marriage, I already told you, we in vocational ministry, all kinds of things happened. We both lost different jobs at different places because of downsizing and all different types of things out of our control. And the only thing we had of value was that stone. And even though it was worth like $14,000, $15,000, we sold it for $2,500 on Craigslist. And sometimes this happens, friends. We're forced into a corner of, hey, we just got to do what we got to do. Anyone else ever said that? We just got to do what we got to do. And so fast forward 14 years later, I'm doing what I do now. We're traveling over. We're, we're, we're bringing hope to singles. We're seeing marriage. Our shadows are getting people married out here. Crazy stuff's going on. Crazy stuff. I'm on a plane. I'm flying to Ohio. And God says to me, hey, when you get to Ohio, I want you to go get that diamond back. And I was like, what? I was like, God, I sold it on Craigslist. And he's like, I know, I want you to go get it back. I said, I don't know who I sold it to. And he said, I know, but I want you to go get it back. That needs to be restored to this family line. And so the only thing that I knew about this woman that had bought in the ring, besides the fact that she was buying her own diamond for the engagement. <laughs> That's the only thing that I knew about her besides the fact that she was a firefighter. So as soon as I got back to Ohio, I went to the firehouse that was closest to the house I lived in when I sold it. That's all I had. That's my best attempt. And I asked them, I said, hey, do you recognize this description of this woman? I described what she looked like and all the things. And the girl I was talking to was like, hey, listen, I've only been with the department for two years, but there happens to be a guy here today that's been with the department for 30 years. I'm going to go get him. She went and got him. He comes out. I described the woman to him, and I said, I know this is weird and crazy. And he's like, you know what? This description fits someone that I went to academy with, he said, and I'm going to text her, and if it's her, I'll give her your phone number. Later that day, I got a text from her, and it was her. And this is what she said. She said, I got divorced five years ago. I was only married for 10 years. I got divorced five years ago. She said, but I've held on to this diamond because it belongs to you. She could have went out and sold that for a lot of money, but she held on to it. She said, I was always hoping that I would be able to give it back to you someday because I knew that you were selling it because you felt like you had to. But you, weren't, you didn't need to, and, and it needed to come back to you. And so she sold it back to me for the same amount of money that I sold it to her for. Right? But the story gets better because when I get home and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm finally going to have a ring again. After all this time of not having a ring, I'm going to have a ring again. And we take it to the family jeweler, and we start to try to pick out settings, and none of them sit right with me. I'm like, no, mm, no, no, no. And I go home, and God says to me, and I don't pick anything, and I, I'm going to pray. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to think on it. I'm going to go home. And the woman, and the woman's like, okay. And we go home, and God says to me, that diamond's not for you. He said, it's for your son. We have a son who's 27 years old, and no, he's, ladies, he's single. And he comes with an amazing diamond. But he said, it's for, it's for your son. 
It's for your son. And you know what? I could have I gotten offended at that. Hey, all this time I haven't had a ring, and now I'm finally going to have a ring again, and it's not for me, it's for someone else. But I didn't feel that way. I wanted that to stay in the lineage and the legacy, and I felt like that made sense. And what, maybe three months later, David's dad, David's an only child, David's dad moved to Texas because he's getting older and he needs to be around family. He needs to be kind of taken care of to a certain extent. He moved to Texas and David went and moved all of his dad's things. And his dad traveled the Air Force his entire life. He was a lifer in the Air Force. And as he was going through his things, he found this diamond. It's, 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 two, it's, two, it's 1.2 carats bigger than the other. And it's also flawless and it's also from Israel. So it's like double in the size, right? And, and David's dad doesn't know this story. And David's dad says to him, hey, take that diamond, he said, and give it to Jackie. And so he comes home with this diamond, and I put it in the setting, and I start to wear it. And then I see Rob, that's his dad's name, for the first time since I had it. And remember, my dad left when I was six months old. God just places us in family so well. And, dad, and, and I go, look, Rob. I said, look at your diamond. And he goes, you deserve it. And that's what Papa is saying to you today. You might not feel like you deserve it. You might feel like you've just messed up. A lot of the things that you lost that maybe are here waiting for you today, you didn't just lose them. Okay, you lost them because of bad decisions and mistakes and all of those things. And I want to tell you, God already factored in all that when he decided to bless you. God already factored in all of those things. And so you can come up today with confidence that the Father has good things for you, for your lineage, for your legacy, for right now, for later, for your children, for your children's children, for everyone. But you have to believe it and you have to receive it. So will you do that today? I want to invite you to a time of ministry. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.